620 WTMJ, 61 degrees outside. I am here this morning, meaning that Powerball did not come in. But but it was kind of, it was fun for a moment. You can always dream. Uh, somebody won the jackpot. And uh, interesting thing's going to be, I was just reading another story. yet. somebody who wins one of these jackpots, and five years later, ten years later, they all end up kind of like broke. Um, wouldn't be interesting to see. I don't, I don't understand how you can win that much money and end up being broke, but people do, I guess. We start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Story number one, a follow-up to something we talked about at the start of the show yesterday. I think many people were genuinely, not necessarily surprised, but shocked at this cell phone video that came out of South Division High School um, earlier this week. If you didn't see it, um, what happened was you had a, a teacher, high school classroom, who got into a verbal confrontation with an out-of-control 16-year-old student. Um, captured in the video, you can see the student push the teacher, then jump on top of him and start pummeling him while the other students sit around, watch this occur. Some are giggling. Some are laughing. Uh, ultimately, the, the good news is that the teacher, you know, did not sustain life-threatening in, injuries. But you know, he was he was hurt. I mean, he was hurt. And you see this, and you watch it. And I think what really struck a lot of people is this: just this, the brutality of the attack. And at the risk of sounding like an old fogey, this idea that you know you have a 16-year-old that decides that they are going to get into a, a fist fight. Well, not even a fist fight, just attack uh, a teacher and pummel them, that you would think that this is acceptable. Now, when we talked about this, I heard from a number of callers who actually had similar stories of things that had happened to either them or had happened to um, relatives of theirs you know, who work in the school system. And it's interesting to me because as a follow-up to this, you know, MPS isn't saying anything. MPS is saying, well, this is a matter of student discipline and, you know, we're doing the investigation and we're looking into it. I mean, what... I guess, first of all, you'd say, okay, what really is there to look into? I mean, you have you have a 16-year-old student who attacks a, a teacher. All right, seems to me it's pretty clear that, number one, that student needs to be expelled, never going back to an MPS school. And, and number two, while this is out of the hands of MPS, what needs to happen is the district attorney's office needs to charge this kid as an adult. I mean, I just don't think you can lay hands on teachers. And to me, you're 16 years old, you wave him into adult court, and you send him to jail for a period of time. Oh, that's horrible. You're going to put him in jail. You're going to ruin his life. Well, all right, you know, he attacked a, a teacher. But the interesting thing that is also coming out is this concern that this happens more often than we realize. Shared with you an email from somebody who was a first grade teacher and talked about how even at that young age, not these kind of brutal beatdowns, but the out-of-control kids, um, the assaultive type of behavior, it starts young. And, of course, MPS, which is very, very sensitive to allegations that it might not be well, as progressive as some people think it ha is, I mean, there's concerns that teachers have that, you know, there 
a lot of the stuff that's going on is getting swept under the rug. It's not being addressed. We don't want to generate the statistics. We don't want to suspend kids. We don't want to expel kids because at the end of the year, we don't want to have that go against our record. So what we're trying to do is let's just kind of pretend. Let's try to handle all this stuff internally. Let's not report this stuff. Let's just try to make the things go away because if we actually you know, report stuff like this, if we actually start expelling kids, if we actually start having kids criminally charged when they behave in a criminal fashion, well, that's not going to look good. It's going to make it look like our schools are dangerous. Well, the schools may very well be dangerous, but apparently they just don't want it to look dangerous. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this is big story number one. It is the aftermath of the attack on the teacher. I think a couple things need to happen. Number one, I think clearly in this particular case, the 16-year-old needs to be expelled and charged. But more importantly, and big picture, I mean, I think this is just indicative of an ongoing problem, safety in the classroom. And to the extent that this is being swept under the rug, the teacher concerns, attacks on teachers, attacks on other students, aren't dealt with in a very, very public fashion because we don't want to make the numbers look bad. That is appalling. And I would imagine if you are a parent, and I don't care whether you're sending your kid to an MPS school or a school in Glendale, River Hills, or whatever the system is, if there are assaultive behavior, if it's going on, you want it to know about it, you don't want it swept under the rug, and you want the aggressors dealt with. 414-799-1620, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 840. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I, I think the most shocking part of the story and the videotape from the attack on the MPS teacher on Tuesday was that th- this does not sound like it is necessarily atypical. This one made the news because somebody pulls out their cell phone and, and videos the 16-year-old pummeling the teacher. But on larger scales and smaller scales, a lot of people are saying this happens on a regular basis. And it's one of those things, the emperor has no clothes. Let's pretend it's not going on because if we come out and we suspend kids, we expel kids, we have kids prosecuted, gee, then it makes it look like these schools are dangerous. So we'll pretend that the schools aren't dangerous. We'll just try to ignore this type of behavior. And from the perspective of the teachers, how do you go into a school on a daily basis? From the perspective of the parents who have kids that want to learn, how do you send your kid to a school on a daily basis where you've got this type of stuff that's going on? Let's start with Dennis in Pewaukee. Dennis, you're on 620 WTMJ. Well, thanks for taking my call, Jeff. Yeah, I listened to this discussion with you guys yesterday, and I'm hearing you talk about it again today. And both times I'm struck with, with just one thought. I'm like, which came first, the chicken or the egg here? Because either we have, we have attorneys and judges who have become school administrators, or we have school administrators who have become attorneys the city attorneys and judges, okay? Because mm-hmm. in both cases, they're working out of the same playbook. There's, they're not holding people accountable for their actions whatsoever. Well, well right. And or not just becoming at school administrators, becoming attorneys and, ju- uh, and judges, but also becoming PR agents. Here, you know, we, we're, well, yeah. we're concerned. What What is the story going to be? What is the headline in the newspaper? 
what is the story on TV going to be? You know, we, gee, we don't want to show that, you know, ex, we don't want to show the level of violence that's going on here. All we want to do is kind of pretend that everything's rosy because if we turn a blind eye and if nobody knows about it and it doesn't make the radio or it doesn't make the TV, well, then it's not happening. But people who work on a daily basis tell you it happens on a daily basis. Exactly. No, thanks exactly. for the call. I mean, it, it, and that's, see, that's kind of the aggravating thing. And, and then you have, I mean, here, interesting, I'm watching the South Division story and they're showing this video to various parents who are uh, appalled un- understandably so i guess the question becomes how many other times have things like this happened maybe not this type of brutal beatdown, but how many types how many days does this go on on a given week and the school just tries to pretend no this isn't occurring karen in brookfield karen good morning you're on 620 wtmj good morning i am a former mps teacher and i left the district this past spring after having been assaulted by a student. Hmm. Um, I went through a whole year. This happened a year ago, May, when I was assaulted by a student. What grade What grade were you teaching, if I could ask? Where? What, what grade? Um, I was a K-8 teacher, and I was assaulted by a sixth grader. A sixth grader. Okay. <laughs> um, I think this story really hit me yesterday when I saw it on the national news, because I've always kind of felt, well, what could I have done different so the student didn't do this to me? Mm-hmm. But for it to have made national news, it is a problem. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm guessing, you know, since I've never seen a story like this come out of New York or Chicago or L.A. or East St. Louis, there's something really wrong with what's going on with MPS. Karen, do you think do you think this is a is this an atypical thing um, that, that just because what MPS might suggest is this is just a one-off sort of thing it this is a rare occurrence this just happened um, but my sense is from teachers and other people that work in the system that I'm hearing from is this type of stuff maybe not as as brutal as this but this type of stuff goes on on a regular basis definitely it's I would almost say a daily basis mm-hmm. um, granted I was in a school of over 600 students and so yes from like the first grade teacher that sees things happening to the eighth grade teachers that see their phones destroyed so they can't call the office for assistance it ha- things happen daily um you have eighth grade students that are destroying teachers phones so they can't call for assistance exactly um in my classroom i taught multiple grade levels my phone line was cut twice Wow. And after the second time, well, we're not going to replace it because they're just going to cut it again. And that, to me, like, that was like a minor incident that you just learn to live with. Until you're attacked and you need to call somebody to help you, I guess. Right. Have your cell phone out. And maybe the office is free that they can take your call. Like, it's an outside line, like a parent calling in. Um what 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 was the name, just in general terms, what, what happened in your case? What what did the sixth grader do? Um, he jumped up on a table and jumped on top of me like he was dunking a basketball on my head. <laughs> Knocked me to the ground. I had some physical therapy. Um, the student was up for expulsion, um, but being a special needs student, it was seen as being part of his disability through... Um, right a manifestation hearing that he doesn't have impulse control, and the student was back in my class within a week. After attacking you. Right. Um, the huh. following last this past school year, he attacked a couple other teachers, 
and then he was finally removed from our building, but he went to a different building. Expulsion doesn't mean you're out of the MPS system. It means you're out of that particular school, and you're reassigned to a different school. So you just have moved into a, a you have a different universe of victims that you can attack. Mm-hmm. And for every student that is expelled from one building, that is opening up a seat for another student that's being expelled from a different building to come into your building. So it's a shuffle. <laughs> And meanwhile, and again, see, the, the public doesn't hear about a lot of this stuff because, again, I think MPS doesn't want the public to hear about a lot of this stuff. They just want to pretend it's not happening. But people like you who work in the system on a daily basis, you know that that's, you know how bad it really is. Mm-hmm. Karen, thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I mean, th- this is, and, and I will tell you, Karen's call is not atypical from, from what I am, I'm hearing. You know, can you just imagine this? Okay, you're, you're a teacher. You, you go into the profession with the idea that, you know, you want to educate people. And, and look, I understand there's a lot of kids in a school system that go there and they want to be educated. But you end up essentially being the, the equivalent of, of a prison guard, except you can't fight back on these types of things and you have no protection. Can you imagine that story that she's telling? All right, so you're in a classroom where you have kids that are cutting the phone line, which is, again, it's sort of like the call 911 thing. You know, you, it's your direct contact with the office. They're cutting the phone line because they don't want the teacher to be able to call and call for assistance. And MPS apparently tells her, well, no, they've, they've already cut it twice. We're not even going to replace this because they'll just continue to cut it. Okay, so in other words, you're on your own. And, you know, when you get attacked, well, all right, let, let's not make too terribly big deal of this. You know, we'll continue to allow the same people to be in the system and continue to attack other teachers. And you wonder why these school systems are failing. You wonder why teachers want to get the heck out. Well, it's not residency rules or things like that. It's because teachers want to be safe. They are signing up to educate, and you have a system or apparently you at least have some people who don't care about that. They're more concerned with numbers or appearance than they are with actual safety. It's 851. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Drive home with John. It's 854, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. As the downtown renaissance continues, our friends at the Milwaukee Business Journal are taking a closer look at the boom tomorrow, and you can attend. They're hosting a special panel discussion with some of the area's biggest movers and shakers. For more information and to register for the business of growing Milwaukee, just head to MilwaukeeBusinessJournal.com and click on the events tab. Um, Our text line exploded with what we were talking about. Let's see. Um, Not only do physical altercations happen, there's a game students play to get teachers in trouble to get rid of them. My sister went through an issue down in Racine that almost ended her career because a student told their parents she said something racial that never happened. There are many incidents like this as well that never make the news because it's swept under the carpet. Then one of our other texters makes the point, Jeff, this is a no-win situation. Watch this. I predict nothing will happen with this 16-year-old punk that assaulted the teacher, regardless of how he's charged. Neither the judges in the Milwaukee County Juvenile Court System or, or the DA believe in incarceration. Just a slap on the wrist. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that is part of the problem, of course, and it's the larger issue that you have, particularly with the revolving door system of juvenile justice, and I have that in air quotations, in Milwaukee County, where you catch a kid, 
16 years old, responsible for stealing 30 cars, and you turn him loose on bail, or you set him back, send him back into the same home environment that let him steal the 30 cars. It is, I, I would say it's a joke, but it's not funny a- at all. And it is tolerated in Milwaukee County, things that I think most people in most areas would not tolerate, and it is part of an interesting thing. So we'll see what happens. If you want to look for what should happen to the 16-year-old, maybe I am old-fashioned. All right. Maybe I'm too old school. Maybe I'm just too, I don't know, too consequence. Maybe I don't understand the way we handle progressive education nowadays. But in my opinion, and by the way, my guess is this is not the first time the 16-year-old kid has been to the rodeo. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, but my guess is there's probably, you just don't wake up one day and say, hey, today's the day I'm going to just beat a teacher. My guess is there's other things that have been going on, but regardless, I, I don't care whether there's a lengthy criminal record or history or not. I think that what happens is if you brutally attack a teacher in a classroom and you injure them, you not only get expelled from that school, you don't show up in some other school where you can beat another teacher, you go to jail. And you go to jail and you are treated as an adult. And if some people don't like that, oh, it's going to be on his record for the rest of his life. Well, well, yeah, what about the teacher who's going to have to go through this trauma of dealing with for the rest of his life, knowing that you've got out-of-control students who will assault you? Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm not concerned about the perpetrator. Perpetrators need to be punished. All right, follow up to another story that we were talking about yesterday. I I lumped this into the category of when you're wrong, be strong. ESPN, which is struggling financially, they made a lot of bad deals for live sports, and and more and more people are kind of cutting the cable. They're they're in a financial mess. In a way of trying to get out of it, they've turned to more political type of coverage the politics of the politics of sports and it's more personality oriented getting away from what really made them their name and everybody now knows the story they've got an asian american sports broadcaster does football games his name is robert lee l-e-e all right um espn pulls him from covering the william and mary university of virginia football game because well, they were concerned with confusion over the, the Robert Lee name. In other words, they were concerned that idiots might think that, gee, this guy has some tie to, I don't know, the Confederacy. It, it's just, it's absolutely bizarre. And instead of acknowledging that they made a huge mistake, in some ways they're throwing the guy under the bus. The ESPN president, um, his name is John Skipper. And, and my point is, anybody on the production crew that was responsible for this should be fired. But now he, he's sending out an internal memo saying, all right, we, we, we weren't concerned that anybody would be offended Um, Our concern was for him. Among our Charlotte production staff, there was a question as to whether in these divisive times, Robert's assignment might create a distraction or even worse, expose him to social hectoring and trolling. Since Robert was the primary concern, they consulted with him directly. He expressed some personal trepidation about the assignment, and when offered the chance to do the Youngstown State pit game instead, opted for that game, in part because he lives in Albany and would be able to get home to his family on Saturday evening. So they're saying, well, we, were, we, we weren't concerned that you know people would confuse this. We were concerned that... Um, he, he might be exposed to social hectoring and trolling. I don't even know what this explanation means. I, I, I really don't. But it seems to me it is classic BS. 
um, ESPN, you've got an Asian-American sportscaster named Robert Lee, and they decide that, gee, because people are idiots, you can't send a guy named Robert E. Lee to do it. Robert Lee, Asian-American, to do a football game in Chancellorsville, Virginia, Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. I mean, really? I mean, that, that's but see, that is typical of a group think mind think at ESPN. And you wonder why they're failing. Okay, big story number two is coming up. We're going to be talking about how important is the border wall. Would you shut down the federal government? Uh, Stick around. It's 9 o'clock. Wagner, so glad to have you with us. All right, big story number two. Um, Donald Trump, President Trump, is threatening to shut down the government if he doesn't get funding to build his border wall. Now, as part of the campaign, one of the things that we, that President Trump ran on um, when he was just candidate Trump was he wanted to build a wall along the Mexican border. There are many of us who thought that this was foolish, and it's simply because of, of the terrain. I mean, when, when I, and I've said this before, when I heard him talking about building a wall, I, I thought he was speaking in a metaphor. You know, we're we're going to we're going to set up an impenetrable quote unquote wall, uh, and, and because the, the truth of the matter is, there may be some parts of the border where you you want a wall matter of fact there are parts of the border now where we have we have fences and things like that but if you look along the whole Texas the whole US Mexican border there are areas that are it's it that are, are impenetrable there are areas where if you actually built a wall you would be in litigation for 10 to 15 years because you'd be going through people's private property um, there, there's areas where it may make sense. But there's other areas where it makes no sense at all, at least in my opinion. There's also, you know, remote areas of the U.S.-Mexican border that people don't cross through anyway. So, I mean, I understand the theory of we want border security, but to me, to build a, a wall makes no sense. But nevertheless, that has been the centerpiece of the Trump campaign. Also, President Trump, you will recall, has been saying that he will make Mexico pay for this. Which my response has always been, you know, good luck. So- sounds great. Hey, we're going to build this wall. It's going to cost six or seven or eight billion dollars. How much it's going to cost, and somebody else is going to pay for it. Well, oh, okay. Um, I- I'm not sure you need a wall to begin with. I think maybe with modern technology, there's better ways to police the border. Understanding there might be some spots where you want a wall or you want a fence, but but the idea, well, it's not going to cost us anything. We're going to make Mexico pay. All right, fine. Well, Mexico. Surprise follows surprise, hasn't bought into this idea. And at least thus far, there is no indication at all that Mexico is going to pay for this wall. All right, so here's where it stands. Uh, By October 1st, which is the start of the new fiscal year, Congress needs to pass a budget. If, If they don't pass a budget... 
the government technically runs out of, of money. Now, I say technically because we've been through this before. I mean, you will remember back, what was it, in 93 or 94, you had the, the, the shutdown. And it's not really a, a shutdown. Some federal employees get, get sent home. They get to sit around and not do anything. And then they come back a week or two later when it all works out after things have been closed and they get the money, you know, that they – essentially it's like uh, a paid vacation. But But you have – all the stories about the federal government shutting down, and it is undoubtedly an inconvenience to to a number of people. Well, the Republicans that run both um, the House of Representatives, that would be Paul Ryan and Republican leadership, and the Republicans that run the U.S. Senate, don't don't want to see the government shut down because inevitably, and this is played out in history. First of all, it's not good policy. I mean, it sends the wrong message, I think, to our allies, the, the idea that the U.S. can't get its house in order enough to and keep keep the government funded and, and running. It, it's bad. It's bad imaging. It's bad optics. But it's also bad policy. So what's happening is you have to have a budget by October 1st or at least another continuing resolution to keep the government going. At his rally in Phoenix the other night, President Trump said that building the U.S.-Mexico border wall is so important that he's willing to shut down the government. What he said was the obstructionist Democrats would like us not to do it, but believe me, if we have to close down our government, we are building the wall. Um, Now, of course, this becomes even more complicated because there are a lot of Republicans in Congress who think the idea of building a wall is silly and, and don't intend to, you know, finance, put up, you know, five, six, seven, eight billion dollars to build th- this wall based on the president's representation that I know I said Mexico would pay for it, but now we'll front the costs and I'll get them to pay us back. Well, there, there's a lot of Republicans who are saying, look, that's just smoke and mirrors. It's not going to happen. So um, President Trump, again, now who signed continuing resolutions to keep the government open um, without money in for a wall, with increased money for border security, but not in for a wall. Now he's apparently saying, and he repeated this yesterday, that he's willing to shut down the government. He's willing to not sign a budget if it doesn't include money for the wall. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Feel free to disagree. But I think on any level, this would be a disastrous line in the sand to draw. I think the idea of building a wall is questionable at best. If the president said the wall would be built and Mexico would pay for it, that's fine. But now he's saying, no, we're going to pay for it up front, and I'm willing to shut down the government in order to do it. I think this is nuts. 414-799-1620. Should we be willing? Would you like, is the wall so important? And is us fronting the money for the wall so important that we should shut down the federal government over it? Or is this just bluster on the part of the president? 414-799-1620. Um, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. We're back to discuss in just a couple minutes.
Equifax 620 WTMJ. Whether you agree with the president or not that we should build a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border, and whether you're willing to forgive the president's suggestion that Mexico was going to pay for it, which apparently now appears to be, at least for the moment, off the table, the idea of shutting down the federal government within the next month over the fact that Congress doesn't want to go along with funding the wall that we weren't supposed to pay for in the first place seems to me to be absolutely ridiculous. I think it's bad policy. It's bad politics. It is unnecessary. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Yeah, I, I disagree. I think that we really uh, need to put some type of barrier. And, and I think Trump is more leaning toward a fence. Um, I think he knows that a wall, you could always tunnel underneath it, because if you had a wall, it's going to have to be 30 feet deep and, and 30 feet high. So a fence uh, is what the, the Border Patrol really wants. They want a fence, and they also want ground uh, radar. I think that's more what he's going toward. I think people are too focused on the wall thing. And what, I about think the argue, what about the idea that Mexico was going to pay for this? Are you willing to, to kind of forget about that whole thing? Well, I think in one way or the other, Mexico, we could do trade and, and different things. Um, we can we can basically make them pay that way. There's a there's a way to go around it. But illegals are costing this country billions of dollars, billions of dollars in crime, in in trying to educate these children, in benefits. Are you willing to shut down the government? Yes, you are absolutely. During Reagan. Let me tell you something. During the Reagan years, they shut the government down more than, more than a couple times, and he won by two landslides. This fallacy that if we shut the government down, all the people are... No, the people will not blame the Republicans. We need to just forget about that. Do what we have to do. Shut the government down. Make it hurt. I don't care. Okay. Thank, thank, people, well, thank, I mean, thank, I, see, I guess I, shut the government down. Make it hurt. I don't care. I, I just... I mean, look, I, I've seen a number of these government shutdowns. I understand the, the way that they play out. And, and I do think, and the reality is, almost always, that the people, that the, the party that's responsible for shutting down the government ends up losing in the PR battle and rarely gets what it is that they, they want. That's just the way it's played out in modern times. But in this particular situation, see, I can understand... You know, on, on a matter of principle, if you say this is so important to the future of the country, you know, we, we just we've got out of control spending. We've got to shut the government down on, on this. I mean, I understand sometimes it's you've got to and shutting the government down again is a figurative sort of term because the government doesn't really shut down. Again, what happens is we close the Washington Monument. We send some federal employees who are non-essential home and then they come back a week later when the whole thing blows over and they get essentially paid vacation. So that that's how this whole thing works out. So shutting the government down really is a, a misnomer. But if you're going to shut the government down, doesn't it have to be on for things that are really important and things that people are united on? And I mean, the problem here is there's lots and lots of Democrats and lots of Republicans who don't believe that shutting the government down over uh, now us having to come up front and put up billions of dollars for a border wall is a battle that anybody's going to win. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Dan in Oconomowoc. Dan, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Oh, thanks for having me. Great topic. Sure. Um, you know what? I think what a lot of people don't realize is how much money this is costing the country, and even just the state of Wisconsin. Over the last, uh, I think the Pew Research came out recently and said the state of Wisconsin is paying an average of $700 million a year 
Now, if you average that over the last 12 years... Are you talking about the cost of illegal immigration? Is that what you're referring to? cost of illegal immigration to the taxpayers of of the state of Wisconsin, just the state of Wisconsin, is $700 million a year. And I don't know about you, but I'd I'd like to have some new roads in this this state, and I don't want to keep throwing it down, down a rabbit hole. And I think where the wall comes in is what people see in that is because our government officials from year to year change their minds and they either enforce the laws and they or they don't enforce the laws and i think where a lot of people like me look at that and go well if they're not going to enforce the laws then why not just put up a wall and at this point i don't care if we pay for it um i think i think it was a wrong move by the president to say we're going to shut it down um i don't think that gets us anywhere uh, but at the end of the day, he's fighting He's fighting the swamp. He's fighting both sides of the aisle right now. And I think what he's looking for is the support of the American people um, to, to stand with him to drain the swamp. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's the right way to, to go about what he's doing. However, he's got us talking about it, doesn't uh, he? Well, no, he, that, thank you. Well, he, well, he does. I guess that's the – see, I, I think – and again, you, you don't want to govern by, by polls. You want to govern – by principle, and, and don't get me wrong in this discussion, Dan. I'm not a guy. I, I'm not saying we, we don't enforce enforce the laws. Matter of fact, one of the things that's happened since President Trump took over is the, the number of people illegally coming into this country ha, has has gone down. I am all in favor of putting money towards you know border security. I just argue that a, a wall, a fence, whatever you call it across the entire border doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I mean, again, because there, there's just areas There's areas where you might need something, and we have those things. There's areas where you don't. Um, the logistics of trying to do something like this are, are just incredibly difficult. There's already you know, all sorts of lawsuits that are being filed in Texas where this wall would go through the people's backyards, literally. And they're saying, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're not going to, you know, we, we don't want a, a wall that is going to be going through our backyards. So even if you, the, the truth of the matter is, even if you got all the money, I mean, you're not going to start construction, be able to construct this on large portions of areas around the border for years because it's going to be tied up in, in courts. And I can't get past the, the notion that, I mean, President Trump, when he was arguing for the wall, said, we're going to make somebody else pay for it. And if he can figure out a way to do it, I say, go with God. That That's great. But right now, I, I don't see that, that happening. Bottom line is, I think it's fine to have a discussion about funding for border security. And in the continuing resolution that Congress passed in April, they, they did put more money um, for for border security. They just didn't fund the construction of an actual barrier. If you want to have a discussion about, you know, do we need the wall or not, that that's fine. My only point is I think it would be bad on multiple levels if we were to say, we're going to shut down the federal government, whatever that means, over this particular issue. And I think President Trump is picking the wrong fight. And you may very well be right that what he's looking for is an outpouring of support from the general public. You know, he wants 75 or 80 percent of the public to rise up and say, no, you know, we, we're willing, you know, Congress, you, you have to pay for the wall. But if that's what he's angling for, I just don't think he's got the accurate sense of the country. People want border security, yes, but a wall that we were told somebody else will pay for, now we're supposed to front billions of dollars. I just think it would be disastrous politics and, like I say, bad policy to have to shut down the government over that. All right. Coming up next, the editor of a very prominent paper 
takes his reporters to task for their bias in coverage. Huh. We're going to talk about it and discuss the mainstream media in general. Stick around. It's 927. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 936, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett's budget director says the budget impasse could have a definite impact on Milwaukee, and it isn't a good one. What effect could be felt here in southeastern Wisconsin? Get the answer during Wisconsin's Afternoon News with John McCure, 320 here on WTMJ. You want to be listening to John's interview. You you may or may not know, the city of Milwaukee um, is, is pleading poverty and saying that if they don't get permission from the state, to impose a sales tax um, that essentially 84 fire and police commissions, p- fire and fire and or police positions will be, be unfilled. Um, and, and they're, they're put, I mean, I, I've seen it. They're putting out all these charts saying, oh, it's just, it's unsustainable. And, you know, we, we need, we need more money. We can't handle it ourselves. Uh, of course, they, they don't address Getting rid of middle and by the way, I don't I don't oppose a sales tax for for cops as long as it's dedicated. I, I don't I don't oppose it, but this this idea again it's oh we're poor we're poor we're poor at the same time you're putting millions of dollars into operating Tom's trolley folly and all the other stuff that's out there. Um, I, I think you know you want to be a little bit skeptical, but the truth of the matter is uh, the police force has been allowed to deteriorate as far as bodies. And um, I think the, these jobs just need to be filled. And if it takes a tax to do it, well, I'm not necessarily opposed to that. But you can listen to John's interview with the budget director this afternoon. Okay, big story number three, the war between President Trump and the mainstream media. And, again, it's, it's tough to define what the mainstream media is. Is it, is it the major networks? Is it NBC? Is it CBS? Is it ABC? Is it CNN? What, what exactly is it? The New York Times? Is it the Washington Post? Is it the Journal Sentinel? It, it's very difficult to, to kind of decide what exactly the mainstream media is. I think it is fair to say that there, I don't think that there has been a president, certainly in my lifetime, that I've ever seen that got the coverage that, that President Trump gets. I mean, it is universally negative. Um, I I read the Washington Post and the New York Times, so you don't have to. And and I will tell you that the the coverage is relentlessly negative. There's nothing, it seems, that President Trump can do that's not going to generate a negative news story. And and these stories that get written, um, even, even in the news stories, you can tell from the way they are written that the reporter and the editors don't like what Trump is doing. They're, and it's just that's just the reality. You read three paragraphs in, and you understand that it's it's news reporting that ends up getting mixed with commentary. Now, President Trump brings, as I have said before, a lot of this on himself by, in my opinion, his lack of discipline, his you know inability to stay on message, and his tendency to just pick fights that I, I don't think, you know, should should be picked. Just, I mean, let, let stuff go. He's thin-skinned. He just has to, you know, have the last word. And a lot of times on a variety of issues since his inauguration, that is, and before that too, I mean, that has ended up getting him into trouble. At the On the other hand, though, I mean, again, I think it, 
it's just you kind of shake your head if you read these stories on a daily basis and you understand how it's one thing if the editorial pages decide they don't like you, but it's another thing when story after story after story that appears like in the newspaper or is framed on, on ABC or CBS or NBC or whatever – um, CNN, that they're really, they're not reported in an objective fashion. They are reported as if, uh, again, the reporter, uh, Trump is an idiot, Trump is foolish, this is outrageous, this is terrible, you know, this is going to destroy the planet, all those types of things. Um, anyhow, and, and President Trump ha- has lashed out. I mean, at the rally he held in Phoenix the other night, um, I mean, he he ratcheted up his, his biased claims to a new level. He sort of went off script, it seemed to me, and, you know, he he started calling out, you know, news organizations. He was talking about how awful CNN is, and he was making fun of the fact, oh, now they're not going to show me on their on their network. They're, the cameras are going to go out. Um, on th- Tuesday night, he told people that he thought the journalists were sick people who believes don't like our country, are trying to take away our history and our heritage. And, of course, I was watching something on CNN afterwards, and they're just all appalled, and they're offended. How dare he say these things about us? All right. After in the aftermath of the coverage of the event the other night, um, the editor and chief of the Wall Street Journal, and and the Wall Street Journal is one of the few publications that has a conservative editorial page, but the editorial page, really unlike at some places, really is separate from the news coverage. You know, and and I understand there there's some places that wink, wink, nod, nod, say, well, the you know the editorial coverage that we we've got news and we've got editorial. In in reality, at least in my opinion, that's not how it plays out in most places. But the Wall Street Journal, again, conservative editorial page, but you don't necessarily see that bleeding over into coverage. Matter of fact, a lot of the coverage of the stories that you see in the Wall Street Journal has the same tone and flavor as the stories you would see in other of the mainstream publications. So anyhow, Gerard Baker, who's the editor-in-chief of the Wall Street Journal, sends out a a memo um, on Wednesday after reading some of the coverage that appeared in the Wall Street Journal. Um, What he says is, sorry, this is commentary dressed up as news reporting. Um, He added, could we please just stick to reporting what he said rather than packaging it with selective criticism? So he's sitting there saying, all right, look, I'm looking at the way we're covering this in news. And I can even see that, you know, you, you being the reporters, have decided to write this, again, as a commentary piece as opposed to a piece of news reporting. And this is the type of stuff that I see, think you see on a regular basis. And again, I'm the first to acknowledge that, that Trump, in many cases, is his own worst enemy by you know, saying things that invite some of the scrutiny. But there's a lot of stuff he does that, that doesn't have that overtone to it, and yet that gets the same type of treatment. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I do not believe that people who are journalists are are enemies of the people or that the people who write for the various newspapers are folks who hate America. I, I, I don't believe that. I do believe, though, that media bias, number one, exists, and number two, whether it is in response to President Trump's attacks, because people naturally tend to be def- naturally tend to be defensive. Hey, you're attacking me. You're saying I'm biased. I'm not biased. And you know, I mean, and then you have this desire. Do you want to lash out and fight back? 
So I don't believe that people who are writing for these major papers or the people who are doing the commentary, I don't believe they're evil people. I don't believe that they're folks who hate America. But I do think bias in what I will call the mainstream media, it's always been there. And I think it has gotten a lot worse lately to the point that there are a lot of people who now simply don't trust the things that they are hearing because they're picking up the idea that there is that commentary that's mixed in with reporting. And that's not a good thing. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Has media buy, does it exist? Has it gotten worse? And um, can you trust the media to cover issues without the bias of the writers filtering through? I think it's a serious issue, and while I understand that Trump, in my opinion, is way over the top with some of his attacks, I think that this idea that some reporters and some people in the mainstream media have, that there's nothing to see here, they're missing the boat on that. 414-799-1620, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 945. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Does the West Dallas West Milwaukee School District deserve to have the state bail it out of its financial woes after residents voted down a referendum to do so themselves? Scafidi and Billstad examine later today at 1235. That's an interesting issue. Let me give you an example. Okay, Paul Ryan hosts a town hall that is televised on CNN earlier this week. See it now earlier this week also. Russ Feingold, you know. Lost the last two elections. He writes this piece in a European publication called The Guardian, where he essentially says that Republicans, the you forget Donald Trump, any Republican who doesn't repudiate Donald Trump is a white supremacist. Because if you agree, if you oppose, oh, if you're in favor of mass incarceration, which means having you know holding people accountable and putting people in jail, or you oppose restriction, if you support voter ID legislation, you know, you're, you're a white supremacist. So that that's Feingold's sort of unhinged take. So at the CNN town hall, CNN goes out for Paul Ryan, and they invite uh, Russ Feingold's sister, um, who's a rabbi, Dina Feingold. They plant her in the audience. I mean, she says, I, I was invited by CNN. They asked me to participate, and um, they use, you know, she submits her question. They, they use it, and then she asks, consistent with the position her brother was taking, um, you know, will, will you censor um, Will you censor Donald Trump? Um, but, you know, they, they, they planted her in, in the audience, and they knew what kind of que- they knew the question that she was going to ask. Now, she has every right to do that. But, again, this is one of these situations where you have – this is CNN. They're not just letting stuff happen. They're, uh, again – trying to generate something that's going to get the story. And that's the type of stuff that I, I think you know people are starting to see through now. Let's talk to Adam in Milwaukee. Adam, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I, I definitely would have to uh, agree with at least your sentiment. I think it's an issue, too, um, with journalism as a whole, mm-hmm. and not at a local level, not at a you know, uh, mainstream paper, television. And I really think the issue is, is that it's, people understand the idea is that we go to the, we go to the the, the, the media for our, for our facts and yeah. our information, and I think people are starting to understand that these sources are, are not objective. 
Mm-hmm. And in fact, really what they're going after is, is ratings and viewership. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and they're driven by sort of gaining an emotional response from the audience versus but, a presentation of the facts. Yeah, no, Adam, and, and that's why I thought that the phrase, look, like I say, I, I, don't, I don't think that the people who are writing for the New York Times or the Washington Post are, are evil or the people who are you know producing the news shows on CNN are, are evil. But I think you're right. First of all, they are under pressure to sell newspapers. They are under pressure to you know generate ratings. That's the nature of the business nowadays. But also, I mean, I thought the way the editor of the Wall Street Journal put it was really interesting. It was he's concerned that instead of reporting, you know, they're, what they're doing is they're offering commentary that is dressed up as reporting. And there is a place for commentary. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. What I do is commentary. But but that's different than, you know, being the reporters. And I'm not arguing, Adam, that, you know, ev- that, you know, every news story, that, that every idea that's out there that, it, you know, that has the same Wait, and you necessarily have to. If there's some really crazy idea, that you have to, you know, report the crazy people who are supporting the idea. But I think in general, you're seeing commentary more and more passing for news, and people are catching on to it. Absolutely, I I, I agree with you. I don't believe that it's of a, of a subversive nature. Yeah. I, I really think that that uh, the mainstream media outlets, especially print, are finding themselves in deep water. As the industry as the industry changes, yep. and people get their news from different sources, and really, I think that a lot of this is just based on uh, on inexperience and the fact that it's so uh, it's so much more sensationalistic now right. uh, compared to what it was even when I was a kid. If you followed history or political events, even in the last twenty years, you, you've seen a major shift to this type of reporting. There's no way if, you, if you've been following it, you've seen it. Right. I mean, uh, th- thanks for call. No, I mean, and let me just share some texts. Uh, this is from Mitch. CNN Don's Lemon, who Don Lemon, CNN's Don Lemon, who is a very, very, very liberal commentator and very anti-Trump, said Trump is clearly trying to start a civil war. Trump is the greatest gift to the media has ever been given, um, as his periodic outrageousness seems to give them carte blanche to attack all things conservative. The print media can be even more slanted since they are fact-checked less often. Okay, uh, Rick writes, Trump is not a victim of fake news or the mainstream media. He is a victim of his own juvenile and mean-spirited behavior, which will always overshadow his limited accomplishments on behalf of the nation. I am not talking about whether Donald Trump is a victim or, or not. That's not my point. What my point is, is I think that the mainstream media, forget about Donald Trump, I think the mainstream media hurts itself by the vendetta against Trump, and who I, I mean again, this this isn't. I'm not seeing Donald Trump as a victim, but with this idea that okay, when everything now we have decided it is us against them, and so instead of reporting stories, we are going to again offer commentary. Don Don Lemon on CNN is not a journalist. I don't think he's a journalist. He's a commentator. You know, he gets to comment on, and that that's fine. People get to comment. I don't have a problem with that. But it is when it bleeds into the reporting that I think you end up with uh, the issue. Let's see. Uh, yes, it is media bias. The media slams our president every day and night. They're there to report news, not give their slanted leftist opinions. Well, I, I think that that's, you're, you're starting to see more and more of that, and it's why people question the what where where do you go for information and i understand there's weird stuff out there on the internet you've got the alt-right and some of these you know bizarre things so it's all around but it used to be that you could turn to 
the mainstream media sources, and you could know that, all right, even if the reporters have their own agenda, um, at, at least they're just they're trying to report the facts as they find them. 414-799-1620. Um, let's talk to Matt in Burlington. Matt, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Well, I'm putting it back in the context of your original uh uh, town hall format with right. Mr. Ryan. Right. And that seems like it's a legitimate question to push a moral issue with a politician, whether it be from the left or the right. So in that context of what you originally presented, okay, that's what I'm addressing. Now, the whole, uh, whether you go MSNBC, Fox News, whatever, left versus right, um, I see where you're getting at there, but in the context of a town hall, a tough question seems fair well it's not a question of a tough question it's a question of it if it's if it's planted if the i mean it's is it is it legitimate to stage it and that's essentially what this was it, it was staged so you're I mean, getting at a push versus a poll kind of well i mean right it's one thing you invite people from the community and you say okay here you know go go ask the questions is it different if you go out and you you pre-select the people who you want to have there, and you then, with the knowledge that they are going to ask that uncomfortable question. I mean, is that, I mean, isn't that, that, that strikes me, it's kind of like reality TV, oh, right. you know, that where they stage the stuff. On it. That is a different twist on it. And right. I hope, all, I hope all of the news media wouldn't do that. So. Right. No, thank, and, see, and I guess that, right, and I guess, see, that, that, that's my, my only point. Is it a legitimate question to say, okay, if somebody stands up and says, okay, you know, do you think you should be censored? All right, that's fine. It's another thing, though, when the news organization goes out, they recruit the person who you, you know probably has their own political agenda. You recruit them. You ask them specifically to come, and then you ask them to submit a question, and then you, you choose that particular question. Is, is that is that oh, gee, this is a town hall, or is that, uh, again, this is what we do on Survivor to try to generate controversy? Just saying, I, and again, I, I'm, I don't see Donald Trump as a victim. I think he brings a lot of this on himself. I'm just saying that I think, you know, there's going to be a mainstream news media after Trump, whether the Trump administration ends in three-plus years or, you know, seven-plus years or whatever. There, there's going to be a media after that. And as somebody who cares about news and cares about consuming news, you, you would hope that um, what happens and what is done in retaliation against Trump doesn't taint everything moving forward. It's 957. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner. One final thought on what we were just talking about. Well, I a number of very, very thoughtful emails on the whole issue of media bias. Here's one from Mike. He texts, Jack, Jeff, the subject is near and dear to my heart. I'm old enough to remember that news, when news was reported objectively, facts, circumstances, etc. The opinion or the editorializing was clearly marked on the television screen or mentioned on the radio when it was an opinion or editorial. Lately, and I mean in the last few years, it seems like news reporters feel ob- obligated to insert their opinion, their feelings, and apparently feel that listeners or viewers, I would add readers, to aren't smart enough to do their own analysis and decision making i resent that there needs to be a movement within news organizations to get back to the basics of reporting the news report the facts and and by the way like not not all ideas are 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 equal i mean i'm not suggesting that you know if somebody comes out with a really really dumb idea in the reporting of that idea you can't present counter facts 
But I, I think that, you know, if people are concerned with the media, the general public, um, you know, trusting reporters. And, and again, this this is you know, President Trump, regardless of how you feel about him, he, he will be gone at some point in time and you're still going to have media institutions. And I just think they are damaging themselves partly because of this just anti-Trump vendetta. Okay, BD, who's producing the show today, the next three topics. The next three topics we're going to do, I am excited about all of them. They're all just, I'm telling you, they're they're just all all winners. Let us start with something that happened. Now, this, this happened in Omaha, Nebraska, but it could, in fact, happen here. If you are a regular listener of this program, you, you know that I am... Um, I am I'm anti panhandler. I, I mean, I think that um, when you have, I, I have always argued, and, and say I'm completely with the city of Milwaukee on this. I, I don't believe that you should give money to panhandlers, in part because you don't know what their situation is. And and while I'm sure there's some people that are just absolutely down on their luck, there's other people who do this as a way of, of making a, a living instead of working. In addition, there's people who, um, well, they're, they're using that money you give them to support their, their liquor habit or their drug habit or whatever. And so I have always said, and the city of Milwaukee now encourages this, look, if you want to make a gift, if you want to give money to a food kitchen, you know, or uh, like a soup kitchen or a food pantry or, you know, there's a homeless shelter. Fine, do it. I mean, just just absolutely do it. And I've told the story before about, you know, uh, my late wife and I were in San Francisco a number of years ago. And you can't walk the streets of San Francisco. You can't walk a block in downtown San Francisco without being hit up for money literally five or six or seven times. I mean, there's just these aggressive panhandlers. And at one point in time, she, she gave the guy a $20 bill. And I went nuts, not because I cared about the $20 bill, but because it's like, okay, what what do you think? You We've now given this guy an opportunity to go out and buy more heroin than he's probably ever had a chance to in the last few days. I said, let's let's go around the street there's a there's a, a rescue mission or something we'll, we'll we'll give them two hundred dollars i don't i don't it's not that you don't want to support people who are in need it's that you know giving individual panhandlers money i don't think is the way to do it now the city of milwaukee has kind of cracked down on this because they recognize that it, it is a problem it it discourages People from, if you've got panhandlers that are overrunning areas of the city, it discourages people from patronizing the businesses. In addition, I think it's dangerous. I have carried on in the past about, you know, you get off these freeway off-ramps and you have panhandlers who are, are standing there, you know, begging money. Cars will stop for whatever reason, despite the fact that they've got green lights. They'll stop and give these people money. The people are walking in the streets. I, I just Now, Milwaukee has an ordinance that restricts this. I do not know how vigorously this is enforced because I will tell you there are areas that I go and I still see people standing begging money on on median strips, ordinance or no. In any event, here is the story I want to tell you. Um, Omaha, Nebraska. The guy's name is Charles Logan. He's 66 years old. He happens, by the way, to be African-American, if that matters. Charles, this is the way this story is reported in the Omaha World Herald. Charles Logan stands on Omaha's street corners holding a sign. He's not asking for money, but he's trying to embarrass those who do. The 66-year-old sign says, if you need money, get a job and go to work. Get a job. So this guy, he's out in these areas where the panhandlers are. 
and he's standing there with a sign that says he's he's essentially targeting the panhandlers. He's got a sign that says, if you need money, get a job and go to work, get a job. Logan's protest of panhandlers has brought a few altercations, including one on Friday that involved the Omaha police. Um, He said he was standing about 50 feet away from a few panhandlers. One approached him cursing, threatening, and yelling racial slurs at him. He said, I I said, this is what he says to the panhandler. I said, I don't believe you need to be out here, and I have a right to hold my sign like you have a right to hold yours. Said then the guy threw a cup of liquid at him. Um, Officers arrived to, you know, calm the disturbance. The bum said he just tripped spilling his drink on the guy's sign, um, et cetera, et cetera. Logan, this is the man, said his idea of holding a counter-panhandling sign stemmed from his son, who commented he could stand on the corner and make a good amount of money. Um, Logan says, I can't make them get off the corner, but I can sure embarrass them with my sign, who has protested at various street corners for about a month. It must be working because they're mad about it. Logan has noticed, and if you... I believe if you, if there were, if there was a TV station during sweeps that wanted to do this, I think that they would be able to find the same thing in Milwaukee. Logan, that's the man, notice that the panhandlers and are in groups and will pass around signs that say veteran or homeless to earn more. He says it's just a front, it's just a, um, a game with them. So the guy is out there, and he's essentially protesting, you know, the panhandlers. Um, he says that, you know, when he does this, he gets lots of honks and lots of thumbs thumbs up. He says, you know, people who pass by agree with it. They blow their horns. They support what I'm doing because they know it's wrong, and I know it's wrong. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you, we do our Right Stuff Awards tomorrow. My leader in the clubhouse is this 66-year-old guy named Charles Logan, who is out there essentially calling out the panhandlers in his particular community. His point is, hey, I started doing this because my kid was saying to me, why do I work at a job? I can just go beg money from people and probably make more money. He says, hey, I've been watching these guys. I don't think they're homeless. I don't think they're veterans. They're passing around the signs. They're working different corners. All right. Is this guy a hero or is he a jerk? Does he deserve kudos or, hey, these are poor, downtrodden people. What he's do- what's he doing calling them out, making them feel worse? 414, my, maybe he should mind his own business. I say, you go, guy. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1016. This is Jeff Wagner. 620 WTMJ. 1019 Jeff Wagner. 620 WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, there's a 66-year-old guy in Omaha, Nebraska, who, who got fed up with all the panhandlers, especially after his son apparently said, Dad, why, why should I work? I can just stand on the street corner, beg money, and make more. So now, he's, for the last month or so, he goes to these areas where you have the people that are begging money. He stands, um, in the, he stands close to them with a sign that says, if you need money, get a job and go to work. Get a job. And obviously, some people are unhappy with this. Kyle and Wauwatosa text, Jeff, I totally agree with this guy. If you have the physical stamina in order to stand out on the street corner for hours on end begging money, you have the physical stamina to hold and succeed in a job that could give you working pay. There's always a way to earn money, regardless of what may be trying to hold you back. 
Randy texts, I would give the guy money just for his time. 414-799-1620. Uh, Dave in Appleton. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Jeff. Uh, it's funny you brought this up because uh, uh, I'm also the chairman of the town of Grand Chute, which is where the Fox River Mall is. Sure. And I have, I have a sign I carry in my car, and almost daily, of course, our panhandlers have, have uh, really decreased. I've been doing this for two years now. I stand out there about 50 feet away from them. My sign says, uh, beware, some panhandlers are fraudulent. I've been called every name in the book, <laughs> and I've been given all kinds of signs. Oh, yes. I get, I get more thumbs up, Jeff, when people go by, because I think most of the people realize what you said is true. So you re- so you really have to take, you will occasionally go out there and kind of protest the panhandlers? Oh, not occasionally. I, 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 I actually almost patrol it daily. Huh. Yeah. Huh? Why do you Why do you do that? I mean, why do you take your time to do that? Well, because I get calls from constituents of yep. mine that complain about the panhandlers that are at the mall. So it was the only way that we could do it. Uh, the only way I felt we could do it, and it has really helped. Last summer, we had panhandlers on every corner up here, yep. and right right now, I have to look pretty hard to find them. Well, and the, the thing is, again, you say, Dave, some people would hear you and I conversing, and they say, oh, both those guys, you know, they, they hate the poor, you know, but that, the, the problem with the panhandlers is you, you don't, you don't know what's going on, really, and my guess is a good percentage, they're just scam artists. This is a way to make more money without having to pay a dime in taxes than if they actually had to go get a job. We offer them services, uh, I had, because I, I carry a body cam, uh, police body cam, just in case something happens. But anyway, they we offer them services, Jeff, and they turn them down. Every I have yet to have any one of those panhandlers that would be receptive to any services that we offer. Well, I mean, like if you want, you know, we, we can we can hook you up with a homeless shelter, or we can find you some food or something. That Correct. they don't want that. Yeah, yeah. And we have a two one one number you can call up here, and you get any services that you need. Right. They will not take the card. They won't do the call. Don't. They're, I I I consider them all fraudulent. Yeah, because they, they just want the money so they can go buy booze or dope or, or whatever <laughs> with it. Exactly, yeah. and, and I have proof of it, Jeff. A year, a year ago, there was a lady out there, and she uh, she stood there and gave me an indecent sign. Someone, I didn't take the picture. Someone took a, a picture of her doing that, and it went viral. The next day, she posted herself sitting on the floor with a boatload of cash. I have those pictures on my cell phone. I should <laughs> yeah. send them to you. Yeah, uh, yeah, do. I, I'd, I'd love to see that, Dave. No, thank. I, and again, th- thanks for the call and thanks for what you do. But th- see, this this is the thing. It, it's just see. I think panhandling destroys communities because I mean, you talk to business owners. I mean, shopkeepers, uh, and and the, the truth is. People don't want to have to run a gauntlet uh, of walking past, you know, people who are bumming money from them in order to get to businesses. So what happens is, if you've got areas where there's a huge concentration of panhandlers, it hurts the, the local businesses. And again, in, in many of these cases, it's like Dave is saying. I mean, I'm not saying 100 percent are fraudulent, but I think there's a good percentage that are fraudulent. And my guess is, if you drive around the city of Milwaukee, if you followed some of these guys, I think it would probably be eye-opening to see, you know, where they go. I don't know if they're there's a panhandler or a bum union that's out there. But I, I thought this was interesting. The man in Omaha says, hey, I, I watch these guys. It's the same group of guys. They trade off, they trade off signs and go work different kind of locations. 414-799-1620. Dan in Port Washington. Dan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, is this guy a hero or is he a jerk for calling these people out? Uh, he's a hero. He's taken a very courageous stance. I have a personal story to share about Milwaukee. I work in Milwaukee, and 
came out of my building, and a guy said, I'd some money for food. I'm hungry. I said, follow me to Cousins. He did. I fed him a sub sandwich. We sat down together and ate, unlike other people. Okay, so okay. I fed him. He says, brother, can I have a pack of cigarettes and money for the bus station? <laughs> I says, brother, that's not in the deal. <laughs> now you're really angering me. Yeah. The second thing is, I approach, this is real important, you know this, because I've tried to be an advocate, I approached Milwaukee Rescue Mission that helps the, the needy in a shelter and the food and training. Sure. And I said, how about if we make donations to you, which are legitimate tax deductible, you give wooden chips on one side is $5 that they can take for food, the other side is $5 for transportation. If they don't take the chip, they're lying to us. If they take the chip, they can only buy food, right. and they can get transportation. You think, I said, ladies and gentlemen, you do not have to pilot this. Let's think about a simple solution so you know and the last comment i'm going to make is i was in europe and visiting relatives and they said don't you dare give that but look at the baby i said what they do is they take off their their gown and they get in the mercedes benz and they oh. leave behind your back and the last comment is in the book of matthew it says when you do it to the least of these you've done it to me so that resonates in my head yeah. and my pastor said don't enable them well, there that's exactly right. People. No, thanks for calling that. You're, that that's, it, it, again, it is, it is a name. I understand we all want to help people who are, we should all want to help people who are less fortunate than us. And I'm not, whenever I do topics like this, I'm not discouraging that. But my thing is, I think that we are largely being played for as chumps by people who have out there who recognize, hey, I can I can make myself look pathetic, and I'll sit there, and I'll have the sign that says homeless, or I'll have the sign that says homeless veteran, or whatever, and people will give me money, and then I don't pay taxes on it. I can do whatever. My guess is a lot of these people who are out there panhandling for cash and things like that or change, they probably actually do a lot better than many of the people who feel sorry for them and give them dough. Let's talk to Pam in Delafield. Pam, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Um, I was just, I just came back from uh, Houston for a funeral, and it was funny. Every street corner, every overpass had panelers on it. Yep. You stopped at a red light, they were there collecting money. And I have relatives, personally, that I know that's how they live. They just go out, they panhandle, get their money, don't pay taxes, and they live. That's what they do. They so, went across the country doing it. Right. Oh, so, I mean, right, it's it, it's their job, essentially. You know, it, exactly. Right. And they tell me that all the people that they meet that do the similar things, that's what they do. They can make hundreds of dollars in a day. Sure, and they're not paying a dime in taxes on it. Exactly, right. it, exactly, it, and making all of us feel sorry for them. Well, right, exactly. And that, that's it. I mean, that's why I, the starting point for I love what this guy's doing. He's like, hey, if you need money, get a job, go to work, get a job. Um, here's a text. On the way to the VA one day on 25th Street, I noticed there were four panhandlers on the corners, each corner of four people going to the casino, right? So there, that's it. It's right up by where you cross over the viaduct to go to the Potomotomy. Um, while I was there, a large black SUV pulled up, um, blew the horn. All four of them ran to the SUV, and off they went. Yeah, see, that's, again, if you want, okay, for my friends who work on TV news, you know, if you want to do a sweeps thing, follow the bums. I mean, it, wouldn't it be interesting to see, okay, let, let's put some hidden cameras around and let's see where these guys or gals go, you know, at, at the end of the day. Is that really true? You've got cars that are picking them up. Where does it take them? What kind of cars do they go home in? Um, let's talk to, um, let's see, let's talk to uh, Dave in Oak Creek. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, 
Hey, thanks for taking my call, Hi, Jeff. Uh, this seems like it's very organized. Like you said, there's vans picking them up. I see them uh, with the same size signs, same size lettering, with the same text, <laughs> homeless, please help, God bless, something to that effect. They don't want to work or offer anything. Um, they're there with water bottles and backpacks. Some of them are holding rosaries with this pathetic look. They're extremely, it looks like they're coached. It looks like they're trained. Oh, sure. It looks like it's uh, highly organized. And like your other callers say, they have strategic places that they stake out. Sometimes there's two or three of them in the same area on opposite on and off ramps. Right. It, this, this looks, it, it reeks a scam, and I wish some investigative reporter would do like you say. Yeah, follow them. <laughs> yeah, follow fo- right, follow them for a while. Thanks for good. Right, find, find a location. There, there's common locations, and I understand. See, and, and this, is, this is one where I'm on board with the city of Milwaukee. They, they say, don't give money to the panhandlers. Don't give money to the bums. You don't know what's going to happen to that. Donate the money to the to the rescue mission. Donate the money to the the charities. That that's fine. Don't give money. And I tell you, like I say, early leader in the clubhouse, this guy in Omaha, and um, our caller from Grand Chute, who apparently is taking it on himself to do this. It's ten twenty nine. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1036, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This week, Harley-Davidson rolled out a brand-new model ready for purchase in 2018. How do they look at a sneak peek of the largest release of new bikes in company history? The pictures are up now at WTMJ.com. Hey, when you're there, be sure to check out our mobile app. You can download podcasts of all the stuff you hear on WTMJ, including podcasts of this program. I know a lot of people do it, and I appreciate it. All right. Big Dog, my producer BD. Have you ever seen or heard of the movie called The Wild One? No. I can tell from that look, no. All right, no, no, I, I understand. It was it was before my time, which means it was definitely before your time. The Wild One was a movie, um, it was one of Marlon Brando's first movies, for, for example. Um, back in, and it was revolutionary for its time. It was in uh, 19, it came out in 1953. And, and what The Wild One, for people who haven't seen it, is about, it's about two rival motorcycle gangs that kind of square off and terrorize this small town. It actually is kind of loosely based on something that actually happened in like 1947. But, but Marlon Brando is, is one of the stars and he's one of the leaders of one of the motorcycle gangs. There is a line in the movie that resonates to this day. At one point in time, you know, one of the, the local Brando plays a character named Johnny and goes the one of the local gals goes up to him and says, "Hey Johnny, what are you rebelling against?" And he says, well, "What do you got?" Well, okay, that's I was thinking about that when I came across this story and I, I guess it's kind of like nowadays, what are you protesting? And I'm thinking, "Okay, what what do you got?" Now, I understand that that we nowadays America in 2017 we're all about the protests, and and I get that there, you know, there's protests for this and that and the other, and there's counter protests, and you've got, you know, the the alt right, and you've got the crazy white supremacists and the crazy KKK people. By the way, there's apparently a neo-Nazi gathering planned for Eau Claire in the middle of next month that's now been called off. To which I say, good, <laughs> just good, good riddance. Um, but you know, then you've got the the crazy left that's out there, and you know, they issue protests. You know, they do protests as, as well. So. So, I mean, it seems like everybody is out there looking for something to protest. We're protesting about statues. 
we're we're protesting about oh a, a monument in Chicago that Mussolini sent. I might tell you about that a little bit later. You know, it seems to me that another day goes by and there's another protest. All right, the protest yesterday that caught my attention was a protest, and they had about a thousand people. That's the estimate that showed up outside of the NFL headquarters in New York. What was this group protesting? They were protesting the fact that Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job in the NFL yet this season. Now let's review the the bidding here. Colin Kaepernick was the very, very, very highly paid player quarterback he was a second string quarterback uh, the last couple years for the san francisco 49ers kaepernick is the guy who decided despite the fact that he was making millions of dollars he thinks america is this horrible country and he decided he was going to kneel during the national anthem that started off the controversy that exists to this day and it is a controversy which by the way a lot of people who are smarter than me think has, has really hurt the nfl the NFL, as much as any professional sports league, celebrates patriotism and military service, and th- this has been a very, very divisive issue. Television ratings um, at every one of the league's network partners fell last year for the first time, and there's a lot of reasons why that happened, but th- there's no question that you know when, when the league does its polls, Part of the reason is that some fans stopped watching the NFL because of Kaepernick and other players kneeling during the anthem. Um, One of the arguments was, look, people just don't want to see this. You know, people come to sports because they they want a vacation and an escape from politics, and, you know, they don't want to have the politics thrown in their face. So there's no question that Kaepernick and some of these protests, I think, has to an extent, it's hurt the image of the NFL. You can argue how much. So anyhow. Kaepernick last year, when he does this protest, he's in the last year of his contract that was paying him millions and millions of dollars. I want to say it was eight or nine million that was guaranteed. So this is a guy who, who's made he's rich beyond the dreams of avarice, you know, thanks to this country that he doesn't support, um, that he has issues with, that he doesn't want to stand up for the national anthem. So right now, Kaepernick does not have a job. His contract expired. He hasn't been hired anywhere. Now, there's a lot of reasons for this. One is, I am told that he is asking for a boatload of money and doesn't necessarily want to come in as as a backup player. He wants to be paid as if he were a starter. So that's one of the factors. One of the other factors that's there, and let's be honest, is that he is a hot potato. He is a very divisive figure, um, and NFL owners who are controversy-adverse, you know, they're, they're sitting there saying, okay, we bring him in, and we're going to immediately alienate a chunk, how big a chunk you, chunk you can argue about, but we're going to argue, uh, arguably you know, alienate a chunk of our fan base. Is he worth the trouble? Colin Kaepernick isn't Tom Brady. He's not Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, he, he's not, you know, some of the other, you know, top-notch quarterback. So they're saying, okay, is it worth going through all this? So there's a variety of reasons why he doesn't have a job. So anyhow, um, you had a huge gathering of people that showed up outside the NFL headquarters, you know, yesterday in Manhattan demanding that Colin Kaepernick 
um, be hired. Um, several hundred Kaepernick supporters showed up holding signs, chanting, I'm with Cap. The event speakers took the NFL to task for a lack of racial sensitivity and Kaepernick's continued unemployment. First, we are here because we believe Colin Kaepernick deserves a job, said Simone D. Sanders, the former national press secretary for Bernie Sanders. We also believe the NFL has been complicit in the ostracization of Colin Kaepernick. And today it is time for the NFL to take a stand. Um, the NAACP wants to meet with Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, to discuss Kaepernick's absence from an NFL roster. No player should be victimized and discriminated against because of his exercise of free speech, and to do so is in violation of his rights under the Constitution and the NFL's own regulations, said Derek Johnson, the interim president of the NAACP. Okay, 414-799-1620. It's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Given all the real issues with racism that exist in this world, I mean, seriously, you've got several hundred people that decide they want to go and they want to protest because Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job in the NFL. And as far as free speech goes, um, free speech in the First Amendment applies to the government impacting and restricting your ability to speak Um, as a general rule. Your rights to free speech, you know, stop when, you know, you you enter the workplace as a general rule. And, you know, yeah, you have a right to do something, but that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. Okay, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Of all the different situations and conditions in the world today that I may be sympathetic to, the fact that Colin Kaepernick has not been hired as a quarterback by one of the 32 NFL teams, I want to tell you on my list of top 100 concerns, that's about concern number 5,236. And to me, this is an example of that you want you want this this multi-millionaire athlete. You want this to be here, the, the poster child of, gee, racism in this country. I mean, my goodness gracious, um, <laughs> you know, Colin Kaepernick presumably has all the money he needs. I got no sympathy for Kaepernick. He made his own bed. And if by deciding to do what he has done, he has made himself too much of a hot potato for NFL owners to take a chance on him, sorry. Interestingly enough as well, Colin Kaepernick now says that if he gets a gig, he'll stand for the national anthem. Hmm. So... What does that tell you? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. We've touched a nerve with this. If you're on the line, please hold on. We'll get to your calls in just a moment. It's Jeff Wagner. It's 1048, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, Kevin and Muskego text. Kaepernick brought everything upon himself. Is he better than some quarterbacks in the league? Sure. But what owner would want the media circus brought into their locker room for an average, at-best quarterback? Um, yeah. Kyle writes, when Jackie Robinson was welcomed into the end, uh, Major League Baseball, his presence was controversial due to a real issue with racism. Jackie played due to his own fortitude and immense talent. Kaepernick has neither. Huh, there's that. Uh, there is that point. Um, yeah, I see. These are, but but again, you have people who are out there protesting because, gee, he doesn't have he doesn't have a particular spot. Let me just back up a step for the hundreds of people 
who decided they were going to go protest the fact that this multimillionaire doesn't have a job in the NFL. Maybe if you spent your time, I don't know, what were we talking about in the last segment? Volunteering at a mission, rescue mission, or a soup kitchen. Maybe maybe if you spent a couple hours doing that, you would accomplish more real good. 414-799-1620. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. I can't agree with you more. Uh, speaking about the uh, panhandler things, yes, the protesters should be doing more of that instead of helping Colin Kaepernick, who doesn't <laughs> need any help. And the other thing is uh, the NFL, I watch the NFL for football. I don't want to see any political stuff there. I just want to watch football. I don't want to have anybody uh, yeah. telling me their political views or any all that kind of BS. Well, it is. I mean, this I is... really want to watch the game and have fun and entertainment. Yeah, no, thank See, and this is, I mean, here, here's the thing. This is, he, the, the NFL, there's a lot of reasons why ratings went down last year. An oversaturation of product, a lot of really bad games, um, players like Peyton Manning, who are sort of the face of the league, retiring. There's lots of factors. But you're kidding yourself if you don't think that one of these things was Colin Kaepernick. But so, I mean, he is a hot potato here. This idea that, well, he, he has the right to do stuff. Well, first of all, I, as I've been arguing this whole thing, if I were the NFL, I would just say, okay, here's the rule. You stand. And if you don't stand, we're going to fine you. And if you don't like it, too bad. Because, again, you know, in the workplace, your free speech rights are dramatically limited. Nobody's saying that Colin Kaepernick can't go out and do whatever he wants to do in his own time. But he gets, you know, when you are using the vehicle of the NFL during the televised games to do what you're doing, they have every right to be able to, you know, limit your free speech type of stuff. And this is just the consequence that comes with it. But the bizarre thing is you got hundreds of people who have decided you're going to make him the racial cause. I mean, this is this multimillionaire, for God's sake. This is this is the cause, and this is what the NAACP wants to show up with, and this is what Spike Lee wants to say. We're going to support him? Well, okay, fine. Spike, you know, put him in your movie if you want to do that. 414-799-1620. Jerry in Appleton. Jerry, good morning. Oh, hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Well, first of all, I mean, K- Colin Kaepernick is, is not getting signed for a couple of reasons. First of all, his controversial stance, yep. number one. and number. But the bigger one probably is he is way overpaid for his ability. He, he got into the position of being a really, really high-paid quarterback based on his first couple of years in the league. I remember that game where right. he chewed up the Packers about right. five years ago, and then teams figured out that the best way to stop Colin Kaepernick is to contain his running and let him beat you with his arm, and he can't do that. Now, one more quick point. Going on that road, he, he, uh, uh, you know, if you want to be way overpaid for your position and you're not worth it, is it a wise idea to become a controversial figure or should you yeah. come across as a guy who might be a good locker room guy? Well, that's exactly right, Jerry. And and, and then I, I also, there's an element of hypocrisy to it. Because like I said, I saw interviews with him. You know, now that he's, he's looking for a job, now that he's looking for a job, he's apparently saying, "Okay, well, I, I I won't do the protest anymore." Well, what a all right, you know, okay, when I'm when I'm guaranteed I'm going to get the eight or nine million dollars, well, then I'm going to stand up on principle. But now now that I'm out of work, don't worry, I'll I'll do what you want. I mean, which I think says a lot as well. Look, he has the right to exercise protest and stuff, but the NFL is a business, and the truth of the matter is, these protests hurt the NFL. I agree with you, Jerry. Now, I don't claim to be a football expert. I leave that, that to you know, Greg Matz and Justin Garcia and Doug Russell and things like that. But, I mean, a lot of the stuff I've read is that 
He doesn't want to be paid like league minimum. He wants to sign with a place that is going to pay him millions of dollars and offer him a chance to be a starting quarterback. So he's being relatively selective about this as well. But I don't care. To me, the most fascinating thing about this whole story is he's decided that that, that you have people who have decided we're going to make this guy the, the racial cause. It's sort of like, in a way... Uh, this might not be the best analogy I've ever come up with. I, I, would just, I, I was watching all the stuff about the O.J. Simpson things. And, and you know, O.J. Simpson, who really turned his back on the African-American community, you know, when he was coming up. I mean, O.J. Simpson was not a civil rights leader like the Bill Russells and the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's and, and, and so many other players you know, coming up. He, he, he really didn't have much to do with that. So after O.J. Simpson commits murder, I understand he was committed, but in my opinion, he, he, I convicted, he, he acquitted, but in my opinion, he committed murder. He Then all of a sudden, during that trial, this becomes like the, the racial trial of the last century. And it's like, okay, th- th- this... It's not like O.J. was standing up for, for civil rights. I mean, here you have a situation where, again, given all the very, very significant racial issues and the racial divide that we have in this country and all the legitimate things and the legitimate causes that you want to stand up for, you're going to have people that are going to protest a, a guy who, well, the, the amount of money he's made probably doesn't indicate too much of a connection between that and the average struggles of, you know, the typical person, you know, in in the inner city of whatever city you're there. We're going to protest Colin Kaepernick. He only made eight or million, nine million dollars last year. Heaven forbid, you know, he doesn't have a gig. Huh. Ten fifty five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Hey, when we come back, it's the elephant in the room Um, ever since. Well, ever since President Trump took office, but particularly over the last week or two, there are more and more people who are saying they just think Donald Trump is nuts. We're going to discuss. Stick around. It's 1055. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. I, I, I've been doing this full or part-time for, well, more than 20 years. I'm not sure I've ever, like, started a topic by asking the question, do you think the President of the United States is nuts? <laughs> That's this is, this is now, like, the cottage industry that, that has d- developed. Um, I was just – I'm looking at a story that's out in USA Today. Yale forensic psychiatrist Bandy Lee is consulting with Democratic members of Congress and other psychiatrists about setting up an expert panel to advise Congress about Trump's mental health. Um, psychiatrist Alan Francis, meanwhile – um, who conceived the diagnostic definition of narcissistic personality disorder, is coming out with his own book. Um, more and more people are suggesting that the president is just simply unstable. 414-799-1620. Okay, so do you think the president is nuts? All right, let's start with, uh, let's see, let's start with Mike in Greenfield. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Uh, hi. Hi. Uh, yeah, I do. I uh, I was uh, actually supported him during the primaries, but more and more he's talked, more and more I'm convinced that he he's not in touch with things. There, there, 
um, everything from the, this whole idea he used to Twitter and making policy like that and threatening to shut down the government if its wall isn't built, um, his striking out, making fun of handicapped people, on and on and on. And mm-hmm. I, I just wonder if he's stable, if he wouldn't do something rash and, and this attack. Well, is this, is this any different, though? Do you think his behavior now is any different than it was, say, during the primaries a year ago? I mean, is this, is this something no. different? No. <laughs> I, think, I, think he over, I think his behavior was overlooked. Um, I think the Republicans wanted to get somebody in there so desperately that they chose that they were willing to accept him. Well, but the American people voted for him instead of Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, they, I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not just the the, the Republicans that are there. And see, here, here's where I really wrestle. I mean, I I, I think Donald Trump. Is, I have never. Let, let's put aside President Trump. Donald Trump, the character, the person, I have never been a fan of. I mean, I just, I used to, you know, before when he was just the guy that was making the appearances on David Letterman, I thought he was narcissistic, um, arrogant. I think he was self-absorbed. Um, I, I think that he's one of those guys that, you know, will would, you know, say whatever he needed to say at the time. He was sort of like one of these, what I would think is like the stereotypical New York, like rich, rich guy. And I, I, I didn't. There, his personality did not appeal to me then. I never watched The Apprentice or The Celebrity Apprentice because I just I found him to be obnoxious. I, I just did. Now, I, there's a lot of people I find to be obnoxious, though. That doesn't mean that that they're they're nuts. And I understand. I, I understand. I'm not being very clinical with this, but I mean, just because you're you're arrogant. You're egotistical. You're narcissistic. You're self-absorbed. You're impulsive. That doesn't mean you're you're nuts. Also, from the perspective of ego, to think that you can be the leader of the free world, you you have to have a pretty darn big ego. Now, some people keep it under wraps better than others. But you think Barack Obama didn't have a a huge ego? Well, I mean, he he did. You think that Bill Clinton didn't have a e- huge ego? Well, I I think you know he did. Lyndon Johnson certainly had a huge ego. But sometimes they keep it under wraps better. So, I mean, even if we can see that Trump has all these characteristics that you, you might say isn't what you would want to have in your best friend, does that mean that he's unstable? Let's talk to, um, let's see, let's talk to Stan in Fox Point. Stan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Hello? Hello. Hello. Go ahead. You're on the air. What do you think? Okay. Uh, yes, I heard what you said, but you know, it, it's something more than just ego. Uh, I think he's pathological, and 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 I and I base that on the fact that anybody who thinks they are right all the time and the other person is wrong all the time. There's something wrong with a person like that. Yeah, but and, a lot of know, people are like that. I mean, a lot of people, you know, that that's the, that's the huge ego, and that's, um, I mean, there's a lot of people that are like that, that, you know, they, they refuse to acknowledge that they can be wrong. Well, that's true, sir. You know, but, but you know, uh, what, what, when he disagrees with you for any means, he attacks you. Yep. you. He seems to want to inflict pain. Well, he's thin-skinned. He, There's he, no he question about it. He you and he insults you. Uh, and, 
and he carries it beyond the individual sometimes. Uh, he even carries it to, to class. Well, I, uh, yeah, I mean, thanks, Stan. Thanks. I mean, and I, I'm not necessarily disagree. I mean, yet, yes, he's he's thin skinned. He can't let stuff go. I mean, I don't understand some of the fights that he chooses to pick. It's like, who cares? He he won. I mean, I you have the whole example of you know you get into this huge fight about all right, how many people showed up at the inaugural at your, your inauguration? Who cares? You you won. Who cares if it was more than Obama or not? Um, and he, he can't let stuff go. But does that mean? Does that mean that you're unstable in the sense that you're a, a danger? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to um, let's see. Let's talk to John in New Berlin. John, good morning. Good morning. It's time for somebody to stand up and defend our president's honor. Okay. Okay. Well, that, that, that's the floor is yours. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, all I could say was, where were all these crybabies when Bill Clinton was in the White House? Right, doing a blue dress. They weren't appalled then. They were dead silent. You know what? I'm looking at a great economy, a booming housing market, a great stock market, reasonable gas prices, a guy that's got some sharp elbows. He can stand up to North mm-hmm. Korea. Immigration on the right track going down. So what if you don't like his style? Right. You know what? If you want a guy that's a good Samaritan and a social worker, go find another Jimmy Carter. Right. You're the worst president <laughs> in history. But right. Dad, so your point, your right point is, your point is, there's aspects of his personality that may be off-putting, but it doesn't mean he's unstable. It's just the way he is. That's right. And I think he's the perfect president for this time because he's got some sharp elbows. <laughs> and maybe all the other leaders in the rest of the world will think he is a little nut. Good. <laughs> okay. I hope they do. I hope they think I'm not going to mess with the United States. Because that Donald Trump guy, he's just crazy enough that maybe he actually will nuke us. Well, Not like this empty suit we just had who's all talk and no action. Okay, John, I gave you the floor. You used it. All right, we're going to come back and continue the conversation. And I I, I, I was really, I, I wish there was a more sophisticated or urbane way that I could present it. But, I mean, th- this is now the cottage industry. You have people saying, we think the president suffers from a narcissistic personality disorder. He is unstable. We need to look at the 25th Amendment to remove him. I don't see his... I, is he erratic? Well, yeah, in a way. Does he get obsessed with his stuff? I mean, I don't see stuff that suggests he's crazy. I also don't see – I mean, the Donald Trump I am seeing in the White House, candidly, is the same Donald Trump that I used to see 10 or 15 years ago when he was making the rounds on the TV shows, and certainly the same Donald Trump that I saw during the Republican primary where he was going after – he was saying things that would have killed any other political campaign. So, I mean, I don't know – I don't know that he's crazy. He's just, he's who he is, and he's who the American people elected. All right, do you think he's dangerously unstable? We could continue the conversation next. It's 1118. It's 1121. As the downtown renaissance continues, our friends at the Milwaukee Business Journal are taking a closer look at the boom tomorrow, and you can attend. They're hosting a special panel discussion with some of the area's biggest movers and shakers. For more information and to register for the business of growing Milwaukee, just head to MilwaukeeBusinessJournal.com and click on their events tab. Let's talk to Malcolm in Racine. Malcolm, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi, Malcolm. I have a, I think uh, Trump is fine. I have two points to make. Number one, I remember eight years ago when Obama took office, a lot of conservatives were saying he's going to fail. Remember Rush Limbaugh said mm-hmm. that, and 
liberals jumped on him saying, give him a chance, give him a chance. You want him to fail. And I think it's hypocritical that the media and the press and the uh, liberals have never given Trump a chance. They just jumped on him about the Russia thing. And now that the Russia thing is not working out, they're going after his mental health. That's the only thing they can go after. Right. And then the second point is he went after the media a couple nights ago, and, and the media is doing exactly what liberals always do, which is they don't listen to reason. They just double down. Right. And so they're doubling down with, a, with some of the worst with the worst stuff, you, you know, uh, accusations you could levy against a person. How do you? Yeah, how do you prove you're not not? <laughs> well, right, Trump has been this way his whole life. Well, well yeah, that's I mean, the way no, Trump was. Yeah, right. Thank, thank. No, that that's. See, I guess that's. Do I think he is 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 nuts, unstable? No, I I don't. I mean, I do. I think he has a personality disorder. Well, I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist, but but yeah, like, but but I mean, this is. I guess to me, it's like nothing. It, it's nothing new. There's all sorts of things. This is why when I keep talking about the president, I, I always try to distinguish style from substance. There, there's a lot about his style that I find off-putting. I mean, Donald Trump is not a guy that I would choose for for a friend. I mean, he he's arrogant. He's narcissistic. He's self-absorbed. He's impulsive. Uh, but lots of people are, are like that, and that doesn't mean that they are dangerously unstable. Okay, um, let's go to our text line, which has exploded. Notice the Russia thing is faded. The insanity angle is just the latest strategy for the Ahab-like Democrats via CNN to try to harpoon Moby Trump. Um, Ron says, Trump is playing the game the way the liberals play it, and they don't know how to react. The president's problem is he doesn't have the race card to play, and he could shut down his critics. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Another one of text. Uh, Mary from Mount Pleasant says, I don't think he's unstable. I just, she says, I just think he's an idiot, but, but I don't think he's unstable. Um, Andrew text. Trump may be a little nutty. Not the policies the Democrats would pursue given another four years in the White House are more nuts. Huh? Um, nuts? No. A buffoon? Yes. Um, and I guess that's where I, okay, here on the other hand, here's another text. Yes, he's absolutely crazy. Every day I think he can't shock me more, and yet he does. I find him to be scary. Um, <laughs> uh, Jan says, long before he announced his candidacy, long before he created The Apprentice, um, then when I saw him, um, my belief was, and still is, that I think he's unhinged. But he has money, therefore he's excused as eccentric. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Christy in Sheboygan. Christy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'd like to thank you for bringing this topic up finally. Um, I am reminded of work that I have done with Alzheimer's patients in trying to redirect them from a a topic that they get obsessed about and can't let it go, as well as the fact that his tweets, the craziest tweets, coming out at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, at the late night, not consulting his cabinet. That's akin to sundowners, which is a symptom of Alzheimer's. Let's see these medical records. Well, I, I don't. I mean, I don't think that he's any different now, though. Than he's. I, see, my sense is, Christy, that. And I, I didn't know Donald Trump personally 30 years ago. And, of course, you didn't have the, you know, Al Gore had invented the Internet by then. But my sense is Donald Trump's personality and behavior and pattern, I don't know that it's any different today than it was 30 years ago. I, I you know, I, I, I think he's probably been the same most of his life. Well, it's the the timing of the of the late, you know, the right. crazy tweets, the, the things that are being under scrutiny. 
just the timing of it is, mm-hmm. you know, sundowner similar. The, the stuff in the, right. the stuff that comes out in the middle of the night. Yeah, I, right. It, you know, every right. once in a while, I, I do this thing that I send out describing what I'm going to talk about on the show to people here at TMJ. And every once in a while, and, and normally I do it like at six in the morning when after I've gotten up. Sometimes I do it late at night. And and one day last week, I it, for whatever reason, I was up at three in the morning. I did. And everybody's saying, "What were you doing up at three in the morning?" And, but it was just one night. You know, it was, it was just one night sure. that I did it. Yeah. That's, um, so you you really do think that there might be a mental health issue going on here? I do, and it might not be different than it was four years ago. But right. the symptoms are still there, and you know he's not he's not released those medical records, and I, I wonder why that why that might be. Huh. Interesting. Thanks for calling. I, I get. I, I. I mean. I. I'm not a. I'm not a psychiatrist. I do not play one on the radio, and I don't attempt to. This is going to be. It is the the latest discussion. I. Um. I'm just not sure. I see anything different. I, I think when when America voted for Donald Trump, I. I candidly, I, was hoping, that after he won. He would like like ratchet it back a couple notches, but the truth of the matter is he I, he is what he is. He's seventy two years old, and I think he's been this way all his life. I, I mean, I'd have to see. I mean, it's really easy to throw around terms like I, I think you're unstable or or whatever. I think that you know, candidly, I mean, does, does he have a distinctive personality? He, he does. I don't think he's he's crazy in the sense that you know he, he's unable to conform his conduct to things. Yet, yes, is he impulsive? Is he all those things? Yeah, he is. Is it twenty fifth amendment time because he's not suitable to be in office? Now, I mean, look here, here's the truth of the matter: if Donald Trump is going to leave office, it, it's going to either be on his terms. It's not going to be because a handful of you know mental health experts decide that you know that they think that he's un- unstable. It's going to be because ultimately his policies, if it happens that way, become un- unpopular, and you know you have an uprising. Um, personally, do I wish he would be a little bit more subdued? Yes. Do I wish that you know he would be a little bit more presidential? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, could you still be Trump and do that? Yes, I think you could. But at the same time, he is what he is. It's 1128. Hey, this is this time on Thursday, and we've been talking about all sorts of serious stuff and heavy lifting. We have a little bit of fun. Um, Pop Culture Corner is coming up, and it's a special one this week brought on by an event that happened in the news a couple days ago. So stick around. It's 1128. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is my absolute total favorite email of the day. We're, of course, talking about we're all playing mental health professionals and discussing whether or not the president is nuts. (laughs) Here's the email from Sue in Elkhorn. Jeff, 80% of the men in this country are arrogant, narcissistic, and self-absorbed. Are they all nuts? (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) All right. I will just let, let that out there for people to think about during Mike Spaulding's news. You know, eighty <laughs> percent of the men in this country are arrogant, narcissistic, and self-absorbed. Are they all nuts? Hmm. Interesting question. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I th- what's the lion Sue? I th- th- sometimes I you know the whole world's crazy except you and me. And sometimes I wonder about you. I'll just let that go. It's eleven thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We've reached that point, and we do this this segment every week. 
um, the last half hour of the Thursday show. We put aside the heavy lifting. We stopped talking about all the important political issues, and we tried to have a little bit of fun. I call this segment Pop Culture Corner. We talk about a variety of different things, generally triggered by something that's gone on in in the world in, in the week that's kind of caught my interest, and I hope I can convince it will tickle your fancy as well. We also live stream this on Facebook. We're set up right now, so if you go to facebook.com backslash 620 WTMJ, we've turned on the big lights in the studio, and you can participate not just via our talk and text line, but also um, via our, our live streaming on Facebook, so check that out as well. I've been meaning to actually devote a segment to this earlier this week, and I never actually got around to it. Um, a couple days ago, Jerry Lewis passed away at the age of 91. Jerry Lewis was a towering figure in, in the world of entertainment. And for people of a certain age, you, you forget that. I mean, Jerry Lewis, this was before my time. But, you know, Jerry Lewis, he and Dean Martin, remember Dean Martin? They, they were a comedy act. And, and they made movies together. And they were, they were great. And then they broke up in the mid-1950s, and, and Jerry Lewis went on to make a series of, of movies. And you can argue that, that the period of time, the late 1950s through like 63 or 64, uh, Jerry Lewis w- was about as big a star as you could have. He made you know one incredible comedy after another, The Nutty Professor and Cinderella and The Bellboy, and a variety of things. His movie career kind of petered out. Um, Jerry Lewis, I think for many, many generations of Americans, was perhaps known for his Labor Day telethons, you know, dealing with muscular dystrophy and things. And Jerry Lewis was, in some respects, a very controversial figure. Um, You know, you read interviews with him, and they describe him as having a very mercurial you know personality very very talented very very giving sometimes but really quick to anger and things like that um a really really interesting guy later in his career he made a couple of very well thought of movies including like the king of comedy um his his movies were always big in in europe i mean he was one of like the leading stars even to this day people love going to that jerry lewis kind of slack slapstick type of comedy i will confess um, a little Jerry Lewis went a long way with me. I mean, I just I, that that sort of slapstick comedy isn't my thing, and I, I say that that taking nothing away from him. Matter of fact, you know, he made some of the movies himself. You know, he was also the director, and he invented some techniques that they use in movie making that that they still use to this day. So, um, even if I say that Jerry Lewis and the comedy in some of the movies he made wasn't my cup of tea, that is not intended to in any way, shape, or form diminish. You know what a talented artist he was, but the, the passing of Jerry Lewis, and looking at some of the movies and remembering some of the movies he made, you know, got me thinking about you know some of the best comedians and some of the funniest movies ever. And I thought what we do for Pop Culture Corner today, in honor of the passing, to recognize the passing of you know a, a truly great comedic artist, Jerry Lewis, um, I would just ask you, what do you think is the greatest comedy of all time? Not necessarily the funniest movie, although I guess the greatest comedy could be that funny movie, but the the one comedy that you never get tired of watching, that, that one comedy, maybe it's one that makes you laugh from the beginning to the end, maybe it's one that's really, really funny, but it's got a poignant ending or something like that, the best comedy of all time. 
414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is my tribute. It's our tribute to the passing of Jerry Lewis. All right. Uh, Scott is lining up the phone calls. Um, again, give us a call, 414-799-1620. As I always say, uh, go with your first instinct. Don't tend to overthink this. And uh, call quickly because our phone lines tend to jam up, and I want to get to as many calls as possible. In addition... If you want to see what I look like in the studio and what I'm wearing today, you can check it out at uh, our Facebook Live, facebook.com backslash 620 WTMJ. You can participate via that way as well. All right, we're back to take your calls. The best comedy of all time. It's 1139. This is Jeff Wagner. Kelp, how long have you been on the faculty of this university? Oh, uh, well, uh, I would say uh, oh, uh, prior to uh, my... Uh exposure as a student counselor at USC three years. No, I went to post-grad, and actually that was two years prior. No, there was a botany exposure that I had in one particular school. I had decided pre-med, botany, whatever. I would much prefer the sciences, in other words. I think I should really go back to the time that I graduated. Hello! It's 1143. That is, of course, Jerry Lewis in The Nutty Professor. We're talking about the best comedy ever um, on our text, on our... um, on our Facebook Live line, Lana writes, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I loved that movie. John Candy and Steve Martin. Um, boy, that was just hysterical. Okay, let's start with Kevin and Shano. Kevin, good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. You know, I guess really anything by Mel Brooks can make you laugh, but the one that i got to go to every time is Blazing Saddles. You could never make a movie like that. You know, you, not, not today. You can't. No, it, it was. You know, even, even if it's Mel Brooks, even if it's parody, there is one. You want to talk about the ultimate in political correctness? You could, if you tried to make that movie today, you would have protesters out round the block. But I, I agree. I saw that movie when I was in high school, and there's still scenes that crack me up. And you know, there's really it's, it's a feel good movie because it makes everybody of all nationalities look good in the end of the movie. <laughs> it it does. No, thanks, thanks for calling. And it's 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 just it's a bizarre movie as well. But I mean, it's kind of like oh, but I mean, yeah, I um, I just I, I I enjoyed that quite a bit. Let's talk to Scott and Racine. Scott, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, I watch it all the time. Jim Carrey, liar, liar. You know, a little bit of Jim Carrey goes a long way with me. But I would agree. I think liar, liar. That might be my favorite Jim Carrey movie. Um, maybe it's just maybe it's because, as a recovering lawyer, I can relate to it or something like that. When he's in that courtroom, hilarious. When he gets his car back and there's a scratch on it, I mean, it just goes. No, you watch it over and over, and I, I think it's one of the, one of the funniest ones to watch over and over again. It, it is. It is hysterical. Thanks for the call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty on our Facebook Live line. Diana Diana writes um, Christmas Vacation. With Chevy Chase, yeah, I like Christmas Vacation a lot. I also, um, I think I like the original one as well. Okay, on our um, as I as on our talk and text line, let's see. Andrew says, "Airplane is the best comedy of all time." Leslie Nielsen makes that movie a classic. Also mentioned to the honorable mention to the Naked Gun. Um, I. I, uh, airplane, I, I love. Mike from Waldo writes, The Great Outdoors with John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. Oh, okay, now see, this is another, then we have another text line, um, and this is, it's a comedy, but it's not necessarily, a, you're going to laugh in every scene, uh, The Princess Bride. Easy answer, The Princess Bride. Anything else is inconceivable. Yeah, any movie with the late, great Andre, Andre the Giant uh, goes far with me. Todd and Racine sends us a text, Wedding Crashers, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jack in Green Bay. Jack, good morning. Good morning, sir. 
I would say Andy Griffith in No Time for Sergeants. Interesting. That's, I think, his first pairing with Don Knotts on the screen. I think they met while they were doing the play. And, uh, you know, they yeah. went on to be, you know, Andy and he went on to play Barney Fife. Um, yeah, he's funny in that. And Don Knotts, I think, steals that movie, tell you the truth. Yes, and plus that's what spun into Vomer Pyle. Right, right. Yeah, the the show then spud into that. Yeah, no, thank. No, no time for sergeants. That's kind of a forgotten movie. Is one of uh, Andy Griffiths. I think it was his first one. I think he. I think that's the way it worked. He, he started off doing the play on Broadway, and then it led to the movie. Let's talk to Dave and Appleton. Dave, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, this is an easy one. Animal House. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I. Yeah. I um. <laughs> the horse. That everything. John, I mean, you can yeah. quote lines. I, mean, I can see John Belushi on the ladder. Oh right, it, yeah. I you know, thank, see, this is again. It, it's a that, that's sort of a certain time in your life. You know, Animal House came out when I was in college, and um, I have probably seen that movie 150 times. I I never get tired of it, and I have a couple buddies of mine. We're we're not allowed to watch it together anymore because we we do the lines before they come out, you know, um, put Niedermeyer. You know, we, we do these lines, and, and people, if they, they watch it with us, they find us to be annoying. Can you believe that? Um, but, yeah, <laughs> I love Animal House. I, I just love it. That would be on my list. Rick in Green Bay. Rick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Um, Cheech and Chong, up in smoke. Oh, the the like the the ultimate stoner movie. I mean, their their first movie. I believe it or not, I watched that within the last month or so. It was on TV, and I watched, it and it's it's. I mean, it is what it is. But as stoner movies go, it's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. I remember watching it back in the seventies when it first came out. Um, I was only about fourteen at the time, but yeah. I thought it was funny then, and I still think it's funny. Well, there are some parts of it that are just absolutely hysterical, no question about it. And and a little bit of Cheech and Chong goes a long way with me, too. Um, Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. I have to go down Periscope with Kelsey Grammer. Interesting choice. That was not that successful of a movie, but um, I kind of like it, too. I've, I've seen it several times. It is hilarious. How he takes a piece of antiquated equipment and turns it into something good and defeats <laughs> the whole nuclear submarine fleet and right. you know blows up two ports. You know, right. Plus it's cool. got plus it's got Rip Torn in it. I like Rip Torn. I mean that's you know thanks for, I, that's he's always a guy that I I like as well. Let's talk to Tom in West Dallas. Tom, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hey Jeff, uh, I guess my favorite is always uh, Money Pit with Tom Hanks. Cause every time you got to fix something to the house, you watch that movie. Right. It makes it feel a lot better. <laughs> it, it does. Um, Tom Hanks and Terry Garr, as I recall. Yeah, it's, yes. right. Oh no, you're, you're exactly right. And, and right, anybody who lives in an older house, my hand is now up. You, you can kind of relate to that. No, Money Pit's a great one. All right, here's a more cerebral one. Tom in Appleton. Tom, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, I, I'd have to say. Dr. Strange Love or How I Learned to Love the Bomb. Yeah, Stanley Kubrick, 1964. Um, Peter Sellers. It's a masterpiece of Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers was tremendous. He played, I think, six different roles in that film. Was great. Right, right. And it, you know, it's interesting because Peter Sellers, 
Um, he's another one that, for whatever reasons, a, a, a little of him goes a long way. But I thought he was masterful in that. And, and who can remember like the the final scenes where you've got Slim Pickens like riding the nuclear bomb? I mean, it's, riding the bomb down is great. <laughs> it, it's a it, no thanks. No, it's it's it, it's a classic. They've been uh, and and the thing about Doctor Strangelove is it it's a dark comedy. I mean, it's a more cerebral type. It's not a it's not a okay. This is Adam Sandler's The Water Boy. This is a it, it's it's a dark comedy, is I guess uh, you know how how you'd said it, but I think it's outstanding. Let us talk to Kurt on the North Side. Kurt, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. My vote goes to Caddyshack. I love Bill Murray, Rodney Dangerfield, and Chevy Chase. And the constant harassing of Ted Baxter was timeless. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, I I um I, I like Rodney Dangerfield. Um, and you know, no, that that's I Caddyshack's a great movie too. I think so. I was watching. I was watching a making of Caddyshack, and it, it's sort of interesting because they, they made the movie, and then they go back, and they start putting this thing together, and what happened is they kind of just completely and totally went off script, and, and they let Bill Murray come in and do his Bill Murray stuff, and they let Rodney Dangerfield do stuff, and they end up, they go back to Hollywood to put the movie together, and they realize they've got a bunch of skits, but they really don't have a movie, and they don't have any ending, so they had to bring everybody back like six months later and like reshoot the ending where the country club blows up and all that type of stuff because it just... <laughs> it just wasn't coming together. A lot of people saying they uh, they like airplane, and um, you know airplane again. That is that's one of the outstanding ones. All right, let's talk to um, let's see Al in Wales. Al, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Hi, Hi, Al. I really enjoy your show. I love it. Thank you. Uh, this this movie cannot be beat. It's, it goes back a ways, but it has over twenty stars in it. Uh, most of them comedians, uh, like Edie Adams in there. Right. Jack uh, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Right, starring Spencer Tracy, who you never thought of as necessarily doing comedies, but yeah, Spencer Tracy, sure. I can't, I can't watch it enough. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- thanks for no, Phil, and it, right, it, and that's a movie that you know Phil Silvers is in that. Every big comedian of of the day was pretty much in that movie, and it really, it's it's one that it's silly, but it kind of again I think stands the test of time. Eddie and Franklin. Eddie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I can't believe nobody has said Young Frankenstein yet. <laughs> or Frankenstein, as it were. Huh? Yeah. yeah, I mean, the whole putting on the wrist kit. Oh, oh, my God. Every time I see that, it's just unbelievable. And, uh, you know, the, the the hump moving from one side to the other. <laughs> right, on Marty Feldman's back. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it's Igor. It's Igor. No, no. Yeah. I, I, it's, a whole, whole, so many one-liners, unbelievable movies. Just it, way too funny. Can never know, get enough of that one. It, it is. Thanks. For, and, of course, that was, you know, we were talking about earlier, maybe that the highlight from a creative perspective, you know, Jerry Lewis, the movies he was putting out in the early 60s, I think you can argue, and, and I I know Mel Brooks has been doing stuff for a while, but there was a period of time, starting with the producers through Blazing Saddles and then Young Frankenstein, Stein, Frank, Young Frankenstein, there, I got me doing it, myself doing it. Um, I, I think you can argue that that was kind of sort of his creative his creative peak, which isn't to diminish some of the stuff that he later on. But, yeah, I mean, again, um, Gene Wilder, a Milwaukee boy, I mean, he was just great in that role. Skip in Burlington. Skip, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Uh, my funniest movie is uh, Election with, with Matthew Broderick. And Reese Witherspoon. And, uh, Reese yeah. Uh, high, you know, he's a high school social science teacher, and she's the uh, senior, and it's the story of running for the class president. 
Yeah, I, you and, know, the, I, I, I really, I love that movie too. And it's, it's a, it's again, it's a dark comedy. If you haven't seen it before, you don't know what you don't. You have no idea where the movie is going. Um, no. and it goes to some dark places, but it's, um, it, it, it is funny. Uh, yeah, I, I like that, it as well. That speech where, uh, where, where they have to give their uh, reasons for running for president. Yeah, I mean. That's just brilliant comedy writing. It, it is. Now, thanks for the call. Cindy and Waukesha. Cindy, the last word is yours. Good morning. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <sighs> I saw that at a sneak preview at the old Brownport Theater. I just I didn't know what I was walking into. I have loved that movie ever since I first saw it. Exactly. <laughs> it is the optimum of life. Um, it, 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 it says so many different things. I, again, I didn't know what I was walking into. It was a sneak preview. I, I just love it, and, and Matthew Broderick has never been better. <laughs> and how many times have you seen it now? <laughs> oh, uh, well, uh, probably a hundred at least. Oh, uh, hun- oh, right. You know, you know that I, I'm. I want to be the sausage king of Chicago. Oh, you could do all the lines of that. No, that's now. Thanks for the call. That's yeah. Ferris Bueller's Day Off is great. That would be on my list. Um, let's see. Annie Hall would be on my list. Animal House probably at the top of my list. Um, lots of other good ones that are out there as well. I agree with the Princess Bride. Somebody who ended up saying that. Um, and some more current ones as well. But um, a lot of great movies out there. And just sometimes I think with all that's going on in the world, we have to remind ourselves that it's okay to laugh from time to time.